Good to have you here, three and out on this Monday. So much to get to as we head into the final few days of March. The NCAA tournament down, and then there were four. And of course, we all know who some of those four are: North Carolina and Duke, Kansas, and Villanova. And again, my bracket was trash uh, from a while back, but I, I know in our bracket challenge presented by Coach's Corner. There are five who have a chance to win this thing. So everybody else has pretty much been eliminated. Their champion is out, and they're not going to make up enough points to uh, to get there. Unbelievable uh, tournament thus far. And, uh, again, what's to come this weekend might be the craziest of all the crazy uh, out there uh, as far as this tournament has uh, been concerned. And that's with, you know, St. Peter's making a run to the Elite Eight. You've seen all kinds of stuff happening out there, and at the end of the day, you get Kansas, Blue Blood College Basketball Program, Villanova, while maybe not on the level of the Kentucky, Kansas, and others, has won championships and won one relatively recently uh, over North Carolina, and then you have North Carolina Duke, which, fellas, oh, by the way, are playing each other in the Final Four. Uh, As BJ, you said right before we came on, you're like, the irony of all ironies, you've never played each other. All the Duke Carolina games are always on national television because, you know, everybody digs it. And of all the ironies, it's Coach K's last year. North Carolina smacked him down in the final home game, senior day there at Cameron. And now they play for the right to not only go to the championship game, but deny your biggest rival a chance to go to the championship game. This has got, like, the makings of everything coming up uh, this weekend in the Final Four. It's crazy. I mean, it's absolutely crazy when you think about the fact that if you were to sort of draw up a movie script, right, for the end of Coach K's career or college basketball execs, the NCAA tournament, if they could say, what's the, what's the best-case scenario we could have for just drama, theater, uh, the storylines being so obvious, it would be... Yeah, Coach Coach K has got to make a run at a national championship. And who's he going to run into in the Final Four? North Carolina. And and like you said, Kevin, you thought the door was closed on that rivalry with Coach K back in that final game at Cameron Indoor where North Carolina really pulled away, won that game by double digits, controlled it for the vast majority. And then here you are, and two programs that are what? Been separated by seven miles. They've never played before in the NCAA tournament. And then they just happened to meet up in Coach K's last season with a spot on the national uh, uh, in the national championship game on the line. It's amazing. It, it, it's absolutely incredible. Would have loved to have seen St. Peter's, uh, obviously, advance. But you look at this matchup, uh, people are already saying this is one of the biggest college basketball games ever. Uh, coach K has made, what, now 12 appearances in the Final Four, the most of any coach. And if he wants to go to a national championship game here uh, to ride off into the sunset, He's got to beat his arch rival, North Carolina, who's playing great, by the way, the way they finished the season. Uh, we're going to hear about this all week. This is stuff you can't make up. Ben, Duke, North Carolina, and the Final Four. Could it be Coach K's? Well, if they lose, it will be. But how how does this play out for Coach K? Just amazing how this is all falling into place. It really gets, It's really getting on my nerves. I mean, <laughs> Coach K is a guy. Listen, Coach K is one of those guys to where I never met him. But you feel like you know him, right? You feel like you know him with the facial expressions, with the prestige, with the tradition, with the championships. And I'm just happy it's happening this way 
Hubert Davis. Remember when he, you know, uh, got the head coaching job, you know, uh, from Coach Roy Williams, and we was thinking, man, is North Carolina going to even be competitive? Because usually, even though you was in the program, you you know, have, do a person do it as, or they gonna go through some growing pains. Last game of the regular season, North Carolina was like, I don't care nothing about these tributes. You're gonna take. We serving up fresh ales down here in Chapel Hill, <laughs> and we finna give you this one. Michael Jordan had to get past the Pistons, right? Right. Uh. You know, when you think about when you think about, you know, certain people had to get past certain things. Uh, you know, a guy like Peyton Manning had to deal with, you know, uh Tom Brady. You know, certain certain teams, certain teams had to deal with certain teams, BJ and Kevin, to be able to say, hey man, I've arrived. You share the same, you're on the same road, tobacco road. North Carolina, they they'd be like, Is that man, how you feel about Coach K? Who? They don't talk about him over here. But I will say this though. If he does lose, this is poetic justice like no other. Because if you go to Duke, there's a certain narrative about if you go to Duke. If you go to North Carolina, there's a certain narrative if you go to North Carolina. And the two do not mix. BJ, Kevin, North Carolina, please do this for the world. Because... Just, let me ask you guys this because they already did. To they your they point, did. They right? did. Everybody thought that was it. But, oh, but, but Coach is, K's is, last can game. Can you beat them twice? That's, that's what I'm asking. Is Coach K's last game in Cameron? <laughs> nobody thought Duke was going to lose. Oh, right? You have all God. the stars there. You win and you win going away. And from a North Carolina standpoint, if you're a North Carolina fan, certainly a player, whatever, a part of the program, you're looking around going, "This is as good as it gets." Yeah. Coach K's last game. Yeah. Coach K, you know, showcase, and we won. How much of this, if you're a North Carolina fan or, you know, with the program, is is it, man, this is an opportunity to beat them in the Final Four versus, uh-oh, we had it, and now we have to do it again. That's going to be tough. It is going to be tough, but I will say this once again. I'm noticing a lot of fans that didn't go to Duke talking about this wee stuff when it comes to Duke. They went to, you know, they went to teams like Vanderbilt, Georgia, LSU, this wee stuff. Oh, Ty Gurley, listen to me. Yes, you grew up in North Carolina. I know you are confused because right now <laughs> you're saying, what? I'm from North Carolina. So I get to pick, you know, Duke. Uh, no, no, you went to Georgia, all right? Coach K, Coach K is the, is the greatest or, or one of the greatest, right? Because a lot of great coaches came through college basketball. But he needs to go away. And it needs to be, it needs to be North Carolina because – Listen, the fan in me, I can appreciate greatness. I can. But I am sick of Coach K. I really, really am. Because the thing about it is, is right, when you hear somebody talk about it, it's like, what do you mean? He's the greatest. No, he's gotten beat. He already got a freaking, you know, <laughs> arena with his name on it. I get it. But but listen, I never ever thought it would be a guy named Hubert Davis. Hubert, if you're listening, I know you are. Done a great job. Listen, he has. Get him out of the way. Because the thing is, Kevin, you know, we got we got we got young children coming up. They know nothing about these rivalries. If you if your you know if your child BJ if your children want to go to Duke, Duke or North Carolina, they they end up being you know McDonald's All American basketball players. They're gonna this is the ultimate recruiting right this this weekend. Duke, North Carolina are trying to go to the national championship. This is bragging rights for life. So all I'm saying is you don't want to be on the losing end because you're gonna have to hear about this forever plus. No matter what, Coach K's going on with his life. So if he wins, he goes to the national no matter what happens. But if he loses, ooh, that sob story is going to be beautiful <laughs> to watch. And I can't wait because 
I, I think if anybody could do it, I think it's UNC. Well, I mean, the storylines on both sides are amazing, but you're right. This has been the, is this Coach K's last game for, you know, four rounds now, and we're going to get it big time leading into Saturday, and it almost feels like the other game is like the consolation game. Yeah. Like Kansas-Villanova, like, appreciate it. Glad you guys made it here, but can we just get, you know, Carolina-Duke? And it seems like in this kind of game, it's going to come down to the last minute uh, where, you know, it's the right to move to the national championship. It's you eliminate your rival in the tournament. First time you've ever met. I mean, I think the biggest job both Hubert Davis and Coach K have this week is to prepare their team to just play a basketball game. Because I know Duke said, well, going into it, we didn't think about it being Coach K. Like, there's no way to avoid it. It's the Final Four. It was going to be big. Anyway, it's the Final Four against your hated rival. You're going to hear about this all week. And how bad do you want to win for the folks in Chapel Hill? And how bad do you want to win for the folks in Durham? How bad do you want to win for Coach K if it's his last game? And how bad do you want to, you know, not let Coach K win his last but game? But to that end, I mean, Kevin, that, yeah. Duke's players, coaches, the Duke program gets a second chance. Right, because sure. you were gonna have you were gonna have that Duke Carolina, and look, you're well, talking third about chance, but yeah, 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 right. But you're talking about just an all-time great resume that that, that that cannot be impacted. I mean, come on, Coach K doesn't matter how he goes out, one of the best to ever do it. But if you're Duke, you lost that game at home. You were a heavy favorite. Everybody was there. The stars were out, and you wait, lost. Wait, 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 wait. And and and, and now you get another hold on, hold on, chance. Hold on. This 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 is this is what it's really about. People ain't saying it. Duke basketball has five national championships. North Carolina has six. So they're doing this for more than just, you do not want to lose UNC. Duke goes on and ties y'all. Now you got six. So all I'm, so as much as we make it about Duke, UNC got six. UNC got Mike. But if, if UNC loses and then Duke goes on and win, you mean to tell me Coach K ties North Carolina? He walks out. Oh, my. It, it You're just, talking about never-ending bragging rights, rivalry, and, argument. Yeah. And, that, again, if you were North Carolina and you saw it on Twitter, you saw it in the blogs and the media, you had the bragging rights for the end of Coach K's career. Yep. Well, now if you want to hold on to that, you got to do it again, and you got to do it again in the Final Four. It's just, I, like and we they saying, almost met in the like, ACC tournament, yeah. and that didn't come to fruition. Like we were but, saying in the show meeting, though, it's just amazing. Duke and North Carolina yep. have never played in the NCAA tournament. Yep. It, Coach it was, K's last season, <laughs> they play in the Final Four. Like you can't make this stuff up with sports. You got to love it. I, I'm loving it. I, I think I think sometimes too when you cut when people ask why do we love college rivalries, because it brings out the pettiness in us. Like the, the old the old question is, what would you rather have your team win or your arch rival lose? You have to think about it because you cannot stand your arch rival. You want them to lose every single time. But UNC once again, UNC is doing what the Braves did. Braves had it yet yeah, beat the Dodgers for the whole world, not just for the Braves. UNC. Look, I got recruited by UNC in college. I mean, high school. You know? Duke, Duke said I wasn't smart enough. He said I, I needed a 4.0. I had a 3.9. <laughs> you think most people are, are not only rooting for North Carolina, yes. but, like, but like clearly yes. rooting for North Carolina? Yes, BJ, I think, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah I, we talked about – didn't I talk about this last week where it was, you know, unless you're a Duke fan, like, you've heard enough about Duke. You don't, you don't want Duke to win. And so, unless you're just the guys like, it would be a movie script. Well, I mean, how many movie scripts are we going to get? You know, it's like, you had Stetson Bennett, movie script. The Braves finally win a World Series in, you know, with players that were not on the team up until the last two months of the season. 
uh, playing huge roles. Kind of that movie script. I mean, how many of those are you going to be getting? Matt Stafford finally wins the Super Bowl. Movie script. Uh, with, with the way that happens. So, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. If Coach K goes out on top, it will probably be the most unbelievable thing you could ever even make up. Right? I mean, because I, I, the way I look at it, it is, you talk about just something you would say that makes no Okay, so the winningest current basketball coach, I don't know if he's past John Wooden. Has he, has he got, is he the all, he's not the all-time wins leader in college basketball, I don't think. I will double check. If you could double check on that. He might be. So he's got the most Final Four appearances. He's coached for like 700 years. And in his final you, season, he goes out how, with a championship. How, how, how old do you think Coach K is, Kevin? How old do you think he is? Are we taking a guess for real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How old do you think um, he is? I believe he is in his late 70s. Like, I, I want to say he's like 77. He is 75. Oh, Look at Ke- listen, I was Kevin close. Knows, I mean, listen, listen, Kevin knows two things. He knows old as hell coaches. And he knows population. <laughs> you, you, you know, but city and county, you got to let me, city or county, because no care how. But no, no, I will say this, though. When one guy's synonymous with one program, and it's like Coach K has Coach K has done the, the unthinkable of, dude, even if most people have never seen Duke play and they know who Coach K is, that's how big of a brand and a name he is. But guess what? All good things must come to an end, Coach K. And hopefully Hubert. And them USC Tar Heels going to do it because if Duke wins, we'll never hear about it. And then all the Georgia fans going to be like, is, you know, go Duke, go Duke. No, 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 no. Kevin said it's the biggest basketball game in Georgia football history. It is. <laughs> it very much is. Boy, I was like really wrong. BJ pulled up the list of all-time uh, winningest coaches. But Coach K is the winningest. I said, I'm going down the list trying to find where uh, – John Wooden is. I mean, the dude won 80 games in a row as a head coach. Am, am I just not seeing it? Where's he at? At any rate, Mike Krzyzewski, according to this, 1,200 wins. I don't get it done. Yeah. But, yeah, I think this, in all seriousness, and I'll, I'll, I'll ask you this now, do you think this is the biggest basketball game last 20, 25 years? I don't want to – I hate saying the biggest one ever, but – Yes. Do you think this is the biggest yes. basketball game in the last 20, 30 years? Yes. I mean, BJ, I mean, I, BJ, I know you are a... Potentially, yeah. No, 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 no. Because yeah. think about this. You saw, when's the last time the biggest rivalry in college basketball I met? know. Yeah, I mean, it probably is. And Blue Bloods, biggest branch there is, not named UCLA, not named Kansas or what may have you, not named Kentucky. And they meeting for it all to go to go to the, to go to the national championship. This is the biggest. That's Listen, by us saying the biggest, it's not taking away other big ones, but Coach K versus UNC? Think about this. Roy Williams gone, and Hubert said, I got you, coach. Now, if Roy Williams would have been the head coach by now, we, we had to hear about that too. But, hey, man, you know, African-American studies, whatever. UNC is here. Let's do it. Do it for everybody else. I, listen, get out, do I get to be a UNC fan this weekend? Yes, because I'm doing it for the right reasons, not this old dumb stuff that everybody else doing talking about, man, I've been a Duke fan my whole life. Man, you go to Georgia, man. Stop with the nonsense. That's going to be the next thing. Can you can you actively root for another college team when you are actively playing for a college team? Can you do that? <laughs> we'll continue to talk about this as we go as you, throughout the week. Again, Saturday is going to be ridiculous when we get to that Duke-UNC game, but we'll continue to talk about that. Braves continuing on spring training. Season opens a week from Thursday. Pitching staff has been on fire. We'll talk some college football as well with Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football. A lot of spring practices going on. David Waters. 
will join us. Gators Breakdown, we'll talk about that as well. And Ryan Wilson, CBS Sports, will join us coming up in the final hour. We'll talk draft with him. He's got the Jags taking Aiden Hutchinson there at number one. This is 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network, Kevin B.J. and Ben. We'll hear from Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football. We'll talk some uh, SEC spring storylines with him, and there's a lot of them uh, out there as well. So we'll get to that in just a little bit. But the Braves continuing on at uh, spring training. Uh, They lead it 5-0 over Toronto. Not the full complement of the Toronto Blue Jays lineup, but really the the compiled storyline here, B.J. and Ben, is that the Braves pitching staff has been good. I think the Braves have the best record in spring, which doesn't mean anything. I will you know, clearly go out and say that. It doesn't matter uh, what you do in spring. But coming into today's game, the starters' ERA was almost one even uh, coming into today's game. And Spencer Strider pitched two and two-thirds, didn't give up a hit, didn't give up any runs. So that's going to go uh, a little bit lower as well. So uh, B.J. Spring, people talk about this lineup and how dangerous this lineup could be. Pitching has been really good, and you talk about guys making a case. And maybe it's just because the focus is there because it's a shorter spring training. you got to ramp it up be ready to go. But Kyle Wright, Waskari Noah, Spencer Strider, Tucker Davidson, Kyle Muller, they've all looked really good. And these are all guys that are trying to basically vie for two spots in the starting rotation. Yeah, it's, it, it's really encouraging, and I agree with you. Spring training is spring training. Let's not go crazy that – uh, the Braves are what five and two, about to be six and two. But you had a you had a no hitter into the seventh today. That's obviously with multiple guys. Uh, you're not you know compiling a ton of innings, but Ian Anderson not giving up a run, Max Freed not giving up a run. I mean, you're talking about guys that have been very effective in albeit limited outings. Charlie Morton has not given up a run. Kyle Wright, who you mentioned, has not given up a run. So I think the the idea that Atlanta's going to have one of the best pitching staffs in baseball. And I think that takes into account everything. The starters, the bullpen, the guys you just added, that's only been affirmed in my mind here in spring training. And I'm not totally sure that what you do if you're Charlie Morton matters a ton in spring. You're a vet. You've been a multi-time all-star. But I do think, you know, you mentioned Spencer Strider. I, I think your confidence very much matters. What you do in spring is a springboard for the rest of the year. Uh, Waskari Noah has gone three innings, has not given up a run. I think given that it looks like he's going to be the number four starter, that's big for his confidence, a big spring from Waskari Noah. So it has been great to see. Uh, I, I, I try not to go crazy with the, with the stats in spring, but when guys who you know are good come out and play well, that only adds to the optimism around the season. I mean, BJ, every, every, every season you say the same thing before the start of the season. You say you win with starting pitching. You said every well, you win with starting pitching. Now, while this lineup has gotten, while this lineup has given the starting pitching an opportunity to come around, the thing about the Braves is they're dangerous top to bottom. They don't have any weaknesses. Kevin, I mean, you know, uh, when I when I see when I see spring baseball, I just want to see guys out there getting fine tuned. You always say, look, guys gonna be working on their worst pitches. They're not out there to really. It's not really about the stat line, but. You try not. It's easy to not get too high and too low about the stat line. What it is, what it is with the Braves pitching staff. But if it was really, really bad, you'd be like, "Now wait a minute, now." I mean, because you you understand, you do this and go right into the season. But I will say, every single every single uh, group, you know, from the lineup, you know, to the starting pitch, to the starting pitcher, to the bullpen, everybody has come along along the way to say, "Now we are finally right a strong point." There aren't there aren't a lot of weaknesses. 
And I mean, I know we talk about the pitches, but I saw Marcelo Zuna out there, you know, taking, uh, you know, you know, uh, taking some swings today. You know, you talk about a guy like when Ronald Acuna Jr. comes back. You talk about a guy like Mike Soroka, of course. Now, I mean, you want to get him back, but he doesn't have the rush. Yes. I, I, th- I think sometimes we can talk about a great – what makes a great baseball team is not great baseball players, it's great role players. Atlanta got some great role players. That's good enough to be superstars if they was on, excuse me, other teams. But I think the chemistry is coming together. Kevin, you talk about the guys that are, you know, vying for that fourth spot. You want to have competition all the time. Max Freed, man. I mean, he wasn't – Max Freed is coming to his own. Ian Anderson we, – we say we say Ian Anderson like this ain't Ian Anderson's third year in, in the major. Like this is his third year, and the guy's already – hey, man, I'm pissed at his number two starter. Why? Because I've earned my – I've earned it. So I, I, I don't get too high too low with the Braves, but I think that, you know, it's a long season. You need every – every game is 100. You need every last one of them. But from what I've seen from the Braves, I'm very, 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 very hopeful. And I will say this. You know the Braves are pitching well when no one's talking about Freddie. Nobody. That's how well the Braves are pitching right now. I don't know if that's how it's going to be first game of the season when, you know, Mr. Olsen steps up the bat. But I just think for what I've seen, Kevin and BJ, very, very hopeful about the season. Like I said, when Soroka, when uh, Ron Lacuna, they can, they can take their time coming back, even though I do think uh, Ron Lacuna going to be in that, uh, that DA spot. I like what I'm seeing right now. Hey, man, the Braves are not losing any momentum coming off that World Series win. No, and again, a, a big lead up to the start of the season where they open up with the Reds, who have been, I say, depleted, kind of of their own doing. They've traded away a bunch of guys. So you have a series opener against Cincinnati, which you figure to have an opportunity to open up hot uh, against a team that's not expected to do a whole lot. Well, and I think the Braves have uh, been, like you said, from uh, the additions. I know it's very difficult to lose Freddie Freeman, but from the guys you brought in, uh, to obviously what happened last season with the World Series, to the way you've been playing here in spring training, to uh, I think just the general excitement level around the organization, there's a lot of optimism. And, and I am expecting a hot start. You mentioned opening up with Cincinnati. I mean, I think there's reason to expect Atlanta to hit the ground running here. And when you look at these starting pitchers, big reason why. This, this lineup's going to hit. We know that. And when Ronald Acuna Jr. comes back, it's without question one of the best lineups in baseball. This bullpen on paper is as good as it gets. I think if there was a relative question, a relative question, it might have been the back end of the rotation, but Waskari Noah has been great. Kyle Wright has been great. Uh, even Ian Anderson, uh, Ben, who you mentioned, has been fantastic. Those three guys have combined to give up zero runs so far in spring training. So I think the bullpen is what it is. We know it's awesome. The front end of the starting rotation, great. The back end of the starting rotation has solidified itself. I think as multiple guests have told us, Kevin, Ben, you need six, seven, eight, uh, at, at, at a minimum, guys you can trust to be starting pitchers. I think the Braves have that. But, yeah, it was cool to see they had a no-hitter into the seventh inning today, and uh, that's really just a continuation of what we've seen all spring. Yeah, a lot of positives to, uh, to build on here if you're a Braves fan getting ready for the start of the 2022 season, which comes up in a little bit more than a week. Coming up in a little bit more in a couple of minutes, uh, here, Tony Barnhart. Mr. College Football, SEC Network, joins us. A lot going on around the SEC. He'll join us next here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you all here, 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Kevin Thomas, BJ Bennett, Ben Troop, glad you were with us. We have uh, found uh, Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, the SEC Network, joining us here on 3 and Out. Tony, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. And you come into this year, Georgia, the defending uh, national champions, 
Uh, how good a shot are they going to have at defending that title, given uh, they have a lot of losses, but obviously a lot of talent on that roster? There is a lot of talent on that roster. But, but, but you know what? It's been interesting over the years as you watch uh, us they take a program like Alabama. I mean, Alabama's been in the situation where they've been the defending national champions uh, a bunch of times, six times, I guess, under Nick Saban. Uh, and the question is, how do you handle it? It's one thing to say all the right words, but when it comes time to go to work and do the practice and all that, uh, how does the University of Georgia handle this? To me, to me, it's one of the most fascinating stories of the college football season. I mean, Georgia finally snaps a 41-year streak, and now they go in. And it's, it's just a different mindset, and it'll be a lot of fun to watch. Tony, we were just talking about the guys that you lost defensively. Uh, you're going to see Georgia well represented in the first round of the NFL draft. What do you expect from from Georgia defensively without Jordan Davis, Nicobe Dean? Can they still be as dominant as they have been? I don't know that they can be as dominant because you're talking about a generational defense that one of the best that Georgia, maybe the best Georgia, has ever had. But they're going to be really, really good, and really, really good will will win a whole lot of football games for you again. You're talking about a team with incredible amounts of talent. You mentioned the NFL draft. That will be become very evident. It'll be one of the best first nights Georgia's ever had, if not the best. And uh, so we'll have to wait and see. That, that's, what, that's what makes football so much fun. We have all these questions, and then, they, then we start getting some answers. Tony Barnhart joining us here on 3 and Out. On the other side, Alabama doesn't seem like they're going to suffer any fall off uh, either. Are those still the two best teams, not only in the SEC, but would you say they're the two best teams in college football going into uh, to the uh, the preseason? Well, I would certainly say those two in Ohio State would be teams that you would have to look at. Clearly, Georgia and Florida, uh, Georgia and Alabama are the two best teams in the SEC, and they will be uh, when we have media days um, in July. I think they will be. There's no question they will be picked to win uh, the two divisions. But they and people forget this about. Alabama. Alabama was a relatively young football team last year, and Nick Saban did, I thought, one of his best coaching jobs to get that team to an SEC championship and a national championship game. So I think Alabama's going to be hard to handle this year. Seems to be a lot of uh, hype around Tennessee this this spring, and understandably so with what their offense did last year, top ten in the country. What is the next step for the Volunteers, and can they reach that this season? Well, the the next step is to continue to do what they're doing offensively with uh, Hendon Hooker, who had just a marvelous year last year. Can can they keep doing the offense, and does their defense get better? Uh, when you run as many offensive plays as Tennessee runs at the tempo they want to run them, sometimes that leaves your defense on the field too long. Can Tennessee handle that? And, again, the next step for Tennessee, of course, is to beat somebody they're not supposed to beat. That That's how you measure progress. Uh, in the Southeastern Conference. Does Tennessee beat somebody they're not supposed to beat, like a Georgia, like an Alabama? We'll see. And then Florida to that list uh, as well. What are you expecting out of uh, Billy Napier there in in Gainesville? Is there a, a big rebuild to do? Are they still number two behind Georgia? Where, what's he working with coming into uh, their spring here, and uh, where do you think they kind of slot in there in the East? Well, they, 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 they are still definitely behind Georgia. And here's the thing about the SEC East. There's no clear-cut number two because you're talking about Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky, maybe South Carolina uh, being, a, you know, being, a, being a part of that uh, 
for the, for the second spot. And that's going to be one of the more intriguing races for the fall. But I think, listen, Florida is going to bounce back and bounce back in a hurry under Billy Napier because he's relentless in recruiting, has a great offensive philosophy. Uh, the question is, can Richardson be an every-down quarterback? Does he bounce back from his injury? Uh, that, those are things we don't know yet, but Florida will be there sooner rather than later. Tony, what are your expectations for former Oklahoma quarterback Spencer Rattler at South Carolina? Well, there's no question about his physical ability. I mean, he was a, he was a starting quarterback at Oklahoma and a favorite, not, not a candidate, but a favorite to win the Heisman Trophy. So he's got skills. Now can they accommodate, uh, take his skills and, and implement them at South Carolina? I think they will, and I think he'll have a big year. That was a tremendous get for South Carolina out of the portal. And so it's just a question of uh, how you take his skills, which are really obvious, and translate them into what they want to do offensively. I, I think he'll have a good year. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, joining us. Tony, how, how do you evaluate – teams in the transfer portal and, and how that's being used and how they're able to use uh, the transfer portal because we see cases like Michigan State where you can improve yourself uh, in a hurry. And also there's obviously examples of guys you take in the transfer portal that don't pan out. How yeah. do you kind of evaluate teams that are heavy in the transfer portal and how it translates to what you expect from them moving forward? Yeah, it's going to be a mixed bag as, as we start. I mean, the ones who are going to do best with the transfer portal uh, are the teams that have need to spot recruit somewhere. They need some – like Alabama needed another linebacker last year. They go into the portal to get Henry Toyo Toyo from, uh, from Tennessee. Or in the case you mentioned Michigan State, they got Kenneth Walker the third uh, from Wake Forest, and they were a completely total football team. The issue, guys, if you have to rebuild your program year after year, in other words, you've got to get ten guys out of the transfer portal – that's going to be tough. And is it going to work sometimes? Absolutely it's going to work sometimes. But it's going to be hard to make a living when you're rebuilding significantly. Your best hope is to build your program and spot recruit where there's a need uh, from the portal. I think the most successful teams will do that. Tony, when you look around the SEC this spring, is there a team that you think people aren't talking about enough that uh, maybe could be a sleeper coming up later this fall? I'm kind of curious about Kentucky. I mean, they lose Wondell Robinson, their great receiver, but their quarterback returns. They got a new offensive coordinator from the 49ers. Uh, they won 10 games last year for the second time in four years. I'm, I'm just kind of curious to see if there's a drop-off there. I think that's, I think that's going to be interesting. How good is, how good is Texas A&M? They got to get better on the defensive side of the ball. If they do that, and with Haynes King coming back at quarterback, maybe they challenge. But to, and to me, one of the most intriguing stories is what's going to happen uh, at LSU Brian, with Brian Kelly. I mean, they, LSU's got players. That's, that, that's never been an issue. So how does Brian Kelly bring his unique culture to Baton Rouge, and how quickly do they become uh, a contender? Tony Barnhart joining us. And, Tony, uh, finally, you mentioned Texas A&M. Are you uh, a believer that Jimbo can break through and get over? I know he's got a national championship, but in that West, which is very tough, it's show, as last year showed, it's not just about beating Alabama. you got to survive the rest of the ride as well. Do you think Texas A&M and Jimbo can, can get over that hump? I don't. If, if getting over the hump means he's going to win the SEC West, I don't see that. I can see them finishing second if they have a really good year. But I don't think anybody's going to knock Alabama out of that spot. 
But Texas, you know, Texas A&M, what's going to happen at Ole Miss? Uh, Will Rogers is back at Mississippi State. Uh, <laughs> Arkansas, man, how much do those people love Sam Pittman? So the SEC, second place in the SEC West and second place in the SEC East are going to be knockdown, drag-out battles. Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, our guest here on 3 and Out. Tony, appreciate you making some time. Thanks so much. Okay, you bet. Tony Barnhart joining us here on 3 and Out, talking a little college football storylines galore around the SEC, BJ. And I think LSU is one of those fascinating teams where a lot of talent went out. They were very active in the transfer portal, brought in Jaden Daniels to compete with Miles Brennan at the quarterback spot. Uh, offensive and defensive lines, they were very active. This is a program that clearly, obviously, has been a national contender recently. What are the expectations internally? I believe they play Florida State in New Orleans to open the year. And then you're looking at a slate where you play, of course, the whole SEC West. Good luck with that. But I think LSU might be the most interesting team in the SEC this spring. We've got more to come here on this Monday. It's 3 and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Love to hear from you on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. We're streaming live ESPNCoastal.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Good to have you along here at 3 and Out on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're making us a part of your day. Streaming live at ESPNCoastal.com and on your mobile device with the ESPN app. We'll get to take three around the corner. David Waters, Gators Breakdown, will join us next hour. Also, uh, Pro Days going on all across uh, college football uh, the last couple of weeks as well as we count it down towards the draft. And uh, again, Ryan Wilson, CBS Sports, will join us talking draft in the final hour. So, Getting close to baseball, Final Four coming up. BJ, I know I talked a lot of trash. Our uh, bracket challenge presented by Coach's Corner. I'm done. No, I'm done too, but by some miracle, you ended up like a couple of points ahead of me. Really? Yeah. I, that, the, the last I'm like for my last there's like There's five people with a chance to win this thing in our ESPN Coastal Bracket Challenge who have not been completely eliminated with their champion. I think one one person has Kansas. Two people have Duke, and I think maybe somebody has Villanova. Maybe two people have Villanova. So it could be interesting. I'm pretty sure my national title game was Gonzaga-Arizona. That's who I had when they both lost. I just said I'm not looking. And I had to look today for the show. But, Ben, how was your bracket? I don't really talk about brackets because I think sometimes, you know, it's it's like a, just a – it just really, really, like, burns me up the fact that I had – the one time I tried to pick Kentucky, and they – well, the first round, there was one in there. Your national oh. champion lost in the first round. That's incredible. Well, at the same time, that, they, that's they, they live it up to the moniker, right? I mean, Kentucky's known for one and done, right? Well, they was, you know, I mean, what, what you want me to do? <laughs> Maybe St. not Peter's, that one and done. But. Yeah, I mean, John Calipari, in the history of his three number one overall picks, he has a whopping one national championship. He's got it. No, no, he do have it. But I'm just saying, BJ, is that underachieving in your opinion? See, not everybody's team can go back no, to no, back. No, no, with no. no. Is, is that underachieving in your Maybe opinion? Maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, I, I don't really talk about bracket challenges, but, Kevin, how hard was it for you to admit that BJ – No, I'm not, not admitting anything. I'm just saying my bracket was a few points lower than <laughs> that's called That's called me winning and you losing. Are you getting a prize? No. <laughs> it's a prize to be on the air with I'm you and being <laughs> There it is. I mean, if you and want that 70-inch, would you give it to your boy? Wings for a year, man. So, yeah, BJ's not going to take the tube. He's take the food. All day. I could have told you that. That, that would have been BJ's choice uh, of the prize. We'll come back. Take three around the corner. David Waters, Gators Breakdown, going to join us in hour number two as well right here on 3 and Out. All across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Love to hear from you on Twitter, at Pigskin Radio. Also streaming live on ESPNCoastal.com and Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.
Good to have you back here. Three and out, second hour of this Monday. So much to get to. We'll talk with David Waters, a little college football with him from Gators Breakdown Pro Day. Uh, expectations uh, going on out there as well. And we're setting up for a huge Final Four. Duke, North Carolina could be one of the best basketball games we have seen in recent history. One of the biggest ones, uh, to say the least. Ryan Wilson, CBS Sports, will join us. We're talking NFL draft with him coming up in the final hour. But first, fellas, let's take three here on three and out. All right, good to have you on this Monday. Take one is 15 seed St. Peter's, the greatest Cinderella story ever. Incredible story. Uh, the only 15 seed to advance to yep. the Sweet 16. And you think to the about, Elite Eight? Or, excuse me, the Elite Eight, yeah. And you think about what they did. Uh, Kentucky, that is clearly one of the best programs in the history of college basketball. Murray State, who had, what, three losses. They were a 30-win team, and they beat Murray State. And then Purdue, uh, with uh, you know one of the best players in the country in uh, in, in Jalen Ivey, who's probably going to be a top-10 pick, you win that game. And, and that was a game where you made big shots, got big-time stops late. I mean, this team balanced, could score inside and outside defensively. They were able to kind of maintain their composure through all the chaos of these games. But I, I don't quite think they're right there. I mean, I, I think if you go back a couple of years, Loyola-Chicago going to the Final Four, and you may say, oh, that's only one more. I get it, but I think with each level that you advance, there there comes more, more of a mystique, right? And St. Peter's is in that conversation. You think about George Mason. You think about uh, uh, Loyola-Chicago. You think about St. Peter's. If you want to talk about a one game, you think about UMBC beating Virginia a couple of years ago, the only 16 over a one. Uh, there have been some incredible runs. You've had teams that are major conference teams make make deep runs. But I think just off the top of my head, thinking about recent tournaments, you had, uh, you had uh, Wichita State make the Final Four when it was in Atlanta last time. But I think off the top of my head, for me, Loyola Chicago and their run to the Final Four, where I believe they lost to Michigan uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in that tournament. But I will go with Loyola Chicago. I mean, Loyola, Loyola Chicago is great. But I think it is St. Peter's for the simple fact that, look, when, we, when you start talking about Kevin and BJ like a Cinderella. I mean, no one, no one, no one even knew what. Listen, I lived about what ten minutes away from Jersey City. Never heard of St. Peter's a day in my life, <laughs> right? I mean, I know about Seton Hall. They're right there in West Orange, but <clears throat> I think what happens is I'm looking at recruiting. They're not gonna get. They're not gonna get no 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 player in the what top 100 in basketball. No one in no McDonald's All Americans, right? But I think what happens is. This is what makes college basketball what it is. You get in the tournament and anything can happen. We were talking about the Blue Bloods. Does it get bluer than Kentucky? And what they told Kentucky, get out of here. So that made everybody go, okay, these guys be Kentucky. And they just kept going and kept going and kept going. They don't what's the what's the lady from uh Loyola, Chicago? I mean, uh Chicago, the lady that, that, that became like uh, synonymous. Sister Jean. Sister Jean. Yeah. There is no listen, who 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 is synonymous with St. Peter's? They don't have no, you know, they're the peacocks. So that's probably more, it, right? I've there. seen more memes with uh, Mark Wahlberg on, on the movie uh, the other guys. Like, Let me fly here. Let me just fly <laughs> this thing. St. Peter's represents what we love the most about college basketball is that's the underdog being able to say, "All right, put us up against the best." When they head coach say, "Look, people gonna try to people gonna try to bang us down low." Nope, people gonna try to outmuscle us. Man, he said, "I got a bunch of kids from the Bronx, from Jersey. This is what they they grew up." They listen. They grew up in they grew up in Brick City and the Concrete Jungle. You think we care about a bunch of young dudes that grew up going to these real nice uh, tournaments and AAU tournaments? I think it is St. Peter's because now 
You know, you start thinking about a team that's close to a St. Peter's that didn't get in because they don't got the prestige. They're doing it for more than just them. Just like Cincinnati kind of make us think that, you know, uh, you know, the mid-tier programs get a chance to get the college football playoff. They have to do the unthinkable. But at St. Peter's, listen, they, they, they broke up. Every bracket was broke up after the first after the first week because of St. Peter's. But you look at what they was able to do. Take nothing away from the George Mason and the Wichita States. But I just think we take a school in a place like Jersey. Most people don't even know what Jersey City is. They're like, that's in Jersey. But yes, that is new, in New Jersey, about as close as you can get to New York City. But for me, give me the Peacocks because I think they were shocking the world in a lot of ways this year. I mean, that's, that's right up there. I would say uh... – You've, you've had a few uh, Cinderella stories. I think once they like George Mason back in the day uh, with Jim Laranega, I think they might have been a 10 seed, so maybe not as far back, but they beat some really good teams. I'm not saying that, you know, St. Peter's didn't. You beat Kentucky, that validates you, right, in the tournament regardless. So uh, they're right up there uh, with with what they were able to do. 15 seed in the Elite Eight. And as Ben said, no, raise your hand if you even knew – St. Peter's was but look, like a casual college basketball fan might be a, may be able to say, I've heard of George Mason before. I've heard of Valparaiso back in the day. I've heard of maybe I've heard of Loyola, maybe not Chicago, but I've heard of Loyola, Marymount, and uh, you know uh, all those uh, Loyola, Chicago. Okay, I get it. Raise your hand if you didn't even like St. Peter's on the name. BJ, if I just came up to you and said, "Have you heard? Saint, have you seen St. Peter's play basketball?" You would say, "What Division Three? Right? I mean, like, yeah, no, I like, not have, not, I would not like, have any, any like, like nobody, reference. nobody has any reference to them doing anything remotely of note in college basketball at the major level. And here, there they were at the Elite Eight level, uh, getting it done. I think uh, their coach, uh, Coach Holloway, has already got a deal with Seton Hall, so." <laughs> Uh, he parlayed that into something big, and I think he was a great player at Seton Hall. Yeah, I think some of those are like certain programs you see make that run, and then they become kind of a mainstay for a few years if you can keep that coaching uh, staff together. So, don't underestimate what a run to an Elite Eight can do. Look at what a Final Four run did for Loyola Chicago. I think they've been in the tournament what three or four straight years based off of that one run, and they're, so, they're so the which players. Best in your mind. <sighs> I'm still going to say George Mason going to the Final Four because I think. They were a bunch of, like, nobody on that team went to the NBA. Uh, they really made it because I think they had eight or nine seniors on that team, and they just kind of outplayed everybody. They lost it was to like Florida, didn't they, in the, mm-hmm. in the Final Four? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and they put together a good, I mean, so I'm going to say as a true Cinderella, I will go with that. That's probably everybody's going, you're stupid, and that's not, that's not a good example. But that's who I'm going to go with. Take two, Albert Pujols is continuing on in baseball. He signed a one-year deal. With the St. Louis Cardinals going home after more than a decade away, going to the St. Louis Cardinals. Could something like this ultimately happen with Freddie Freeman? And can you go home? I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. You want to see Freddie Freeman in a Braves uniform again. And, of course, he has the long deal with L.A. that will take him into his late 30s. And I'm sure it will work out well for L.A. And the Braves have high expectations for Matt Olson. But I think if you fast forward, what, six years, and Freddie Freeman's a free agent again, even if it's in a very limited role. I mean, I don't know what the expectations are for Albert Pujols in, in St. Louis, but if you're saying, listen, we have a year uh, of, of, of Freddie Freeman left in baseball or two years, I mean, who knows? Who knows? But I think if he could come back to Atlanta, Braves fans would enjoy that. That would probably be very meaningful to him. It, it, it's still kind of weird to look back on what happened and say, okay, the Braves wanted Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman wanted to stay with Atlanta, at least 
to some extent, and it didn't work out. Uh, and I, I think a lot of people, going back to when the trade was announced, were kind of shocked. And you even heard, I think Bud Ellis came on that week yep. and said, yeah, maybe down the line you see Freddie Freeman back in Atlanta. So do I think it's possible? Yes. It, 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 now, it's impossible to predict the future six years from now, but I think there's a chance, and I, I, I think once kind of everybody relaxes from the trade, and uh, you, you'll, 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 of course, think about Freddie Freeman as one of the all-time great Atlanta Braves, and a, uh, a chance to see him come back would be special. I think I think it will. I really, really think it will. I think sometimes we forget to how much uh, these players really, really love these organizations. I know the business is gonna is gonna supersede everything else. But Albert who Albert Pujols signed the one you deal with the Cardinals is only right, right? I mean, they, most of the time that's the difference in uh in baseball and other sports. In other sports, you sign a one day contract just to retire with that team, and you, you know they give you a, you know they give you a couple of hours of going, and people just love up on you. But I do think. Freddie Freeman, you could tell how much you know uh, the Atlanta Braves organization meant to him, and how much he meant to the Braves organization. And we, obviously, he's going to be missed. You hope that when he you know he's done with the Dodgers, he decides to come back to the Braves, sign a one-year contract, and he does finish it out. Because everybody was saying a bunch of glowing things about him. You 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 wish you you wish he didn't have to go. You wish he, uh, it was able to work out. But Freddie Freeman just proves that the business is bigger than anything else. Adam Anthopoulos did all he could. He offered him the best deal. They thought they could. The Dodgers came in swooping them away. But yes, to answer the question, I do think a one-year deal when it's when he's close to what forty years old. Hopefully, he can finish out his career with the Braves. Are we are we wanting this more than it is likely in your mind, or do you think? Uh, this is- I mean, it could happen. I mean, we see guys in the NFL sign the one-year deals. I mean, as far as like actually playing, I mean, keep in mind there is a guy under contract for eight years to play first base for the Atlanta yes. Braves. So Freddie would have to come back as a DH. I think for the Braves to do that, you would hope his bat is still doing what it's currently doing. Because uh, he would be, what, after six, he would be, what, 38 years old? So if he doesn't come back until Matt Olson's contract's up, he'd be almost 40 or right there at 40. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but, I mean, obviously Alex Santhopoulos, if he's still the GM, he does not get caught up in sentimentality. He tends to, what is the, the saying uh, you like to, to throw out there? He is not out there in the business of altruism to be handing out contracts had, because he, they feel he, he good. Had the, he had the emotion. He did, but did he? Did it allow him to make his decision? He felt bad about it. He still made the decision best for the ball club, as he saw it. As he as he as he should. A GM's job is to put the best players in place to go out there and try to compete for a championship. He did free of emotion, and he did. And it's not like he did not offer Freddie Freeman a deal. He just not didn't, and when you look at the deal that Freddie Freeman ended up getting, everybody was like, "Wait a minute, what?" So sorry that he didn't get that extra year, and the Dodgers are willing to give it to him, but Adam Anthopoulos did. And once again, he is not negotiating with his money. So people say, "Just give it to him, Alex." Uh, no, I just spoke to the bosses, and they said they will not go any higher than that. Yeah, we're not just here to go grab a few more twenties <laughs> off the money tree. Uh, out back, here we go. I'll take three. Which Braves player has impressed you the most? Here in spring. Yeah, a couple of uh, guys. I think Charlie Morton, uh, what, yesterday going out and uh, giving you almost five innings without a hit. That's what you want out of a guy that's a front-end rotation starter and is going to be a tone setter for you throughout the year. thought it was great to see Von Grissom uh, be as productive as as, as he was. Uh, had had four hits. That is tied for the team high uh, here in the spring, along with uh, Orlando Arcia and Marcelo Zuna and John Franklin. But four hits, that's only an eight at bats. So, 500 in that in that sample size uh, had a couple of doubles in there as well. Uh, the, uh, the the OPS was over 1200 
Uh, so I think it's exciting when you see young prospects uh, perform. So Charlie Morton, uh, for me, was a was a good sign. And then I'll go Vaughn Grissom. For me, I mean, I know I know it's going to sound crazy, but I'm going to go with Kinsley Jansen, and I could care less what he's doing right now uh, in the spring. This is why. We talk about Matt Olson all the time, about him being, you know, uh, you know, Atlanta Braves fan growing up from Atlanta, you know, uh, Atlanta native. Mr. Kenley Jansen, I learned something serious about him. I mean, from Caraco. Who else is from there? That would be Andrew Jones. Who did he grow up rooting for? That would be the Braves. Why? Because of Mr. A1, Fred McGriff, and Andrew Jones. He spent his first 12 years, obviously, with the Dodgers. Grew up a Braves fan. So, why he didn't, why he's obviously not from, you know, uh, Atlanta, not even from, not even from America. He said, you know, he grew up a Braves fan. So, to me, to have a guy that said, so we got two guys that grew up Braves fans, get a chance to play with the Braves, yep. and obviously, he gonna, obviously he's going to be the closer. But for me, give me Kinsley Jansen, another Braves fan who gets to live out his dream of playing with them Bravos. Oh, look, I, I got to be honest and say that to me it's, it's Kyle Wright because, I mean, he pitched well in the World Series. I said, hey, he deserves a chance. I'm like, We've seen this story before. Kyle's got everybody said this. Kyle Wright's got the stuff. He's got the ability. He just can't hasn't been able to put it together. So you say, okay, maybe he's got a chance to to show a little something, and he'll, maybe he'll start. No, I mean Freddie. Uh, Freddie uh, Brian Snicker came out what yesterday and said he's he's in the lead to get that final spot in the rotation. Like it it could be hit. So I've been impressed with him. Uh, he's come out and. And taking those minutes, sometimes you say, okay, that was a – you could kind of self-evaluate. Ben, you know how this goes. You have a great little stretch like that in the World Series. You go, all right, was that just a fluke, or do I actually have confidence in what I'm doing now? And it shows in spring training, like, he might actually have confidence in what he's doing and maybe turn the corner and can fulfill some of that promise people see. So I'm, I'm excited about Kyle Wright. He's impressed. And it sure seems like with a week to go until they get started, he's going to be the fifth starter. So I'm going to say Kyle Wright. That's take three. We do it each and every day at this time. We'll come back. David Waters, Gators Breakdown, will join us. We're talking uh, spring football and the Florida Gators with him next. Here's three and out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Great to be here on this Monday. Spring practice is going on all across college football. Certainly, Billy Napier, new sheriff in town uh, in Gainesville. Uh, starting to get things underway. A lot of uh, expectation about what he can potentially uh, be able to do. And joining us here from Gators Breakdown, David Waters joins us here on 3 and Out as Florida also with their Pro Day today. What was uh, on display there for the Gators at Pro Day, David? Yeah, it's a lot different than it did last year. You know, Florida had the star power last year of uh, Kyle Pitts and Tyler Trask, Darius Tony, you know, eight guys drafted last year. Now, if you fast forward and, and jump forward a year, you know, you're only really looking at probably three players that are for sure going to get drafted for Florida. Uh, and Kyrie Elam, Damian Pierce, and Zachary Carter. So, you know, much different than it was last year for that team that won the, the SEC East last year, go forward a year and, you know, a disappointing season. And also now will probably be, as far as numbers go, a disappointing showing in the NFL draft there. But, you know, Kyrie Elam, probably that borderline late first round, early second round, uh, great for him. Uh, he did a lot of work at the Combine. Didn't do so much today. Uh, Damian Pierce, ever since the season has ended, has kind of maybe shot up the boards just a little bit more. You know, Gator fans can definitely share their thoughts on how much Damian Pierce should have been used even more last year, uh, and, and he was not. So he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on him uh, from his college years and, and really had put up some impressive showings there at the Senior Bowl. 
uh, and at the combine as well, maybe looking a little bit faster and, and more agile than, 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 than uh, people remember. And also Zachary Carter, probably, you know, as far as Damian Pierce goes, probably third, fourth round grade, probably the same for Zachary Carter as well. Uh, had his best season, and he decided to come back for one more season at Florida, uh, help lead the team in sacks there along with Brenton Cox there. So not a lot of star power, not the, the, the same star power we were talking about last year, but you know, a few guys there that can still make their mark in the draft this year. David, you mentioned uh, Kair Elam. I've seen some mock drafts that have him in the first round. How does he compare to some of the other great Florida corners we've seen uh, come out of Gainesville into the NFL draft over the last decade? Probably much better size than somebody that's say you know Vernon Hargraves in the first round pick. You know, I think a lot of people were probably hitting on his size a bit. Not so much Kyrie Lemon, probably, and also a student of the game. You know, his dad's a coach. He's been around the game for a while. Uh, kind of just um, and lived up to the expectation there. Played a little injured last year, and I think I probably hurt his draft stock a little bit. You know, Todd Grantham's defense the last couple of years also didn't do uh, much favors either uh, there as far as, you know, what they were asking those, those cornerbacks to do. But, you know, I think Vernon Hargraves you know, probably recently was probably one of the highest names to go in there for that uh, NFL draft uh, there. And I'd say Kyrie, the more cerebral. Uh, I think the basics are a bit better, faster. Uh, and I think just being around the game a bit longer and also um, – just, I think his size were also just kind of – he had a 37-and-a-half-inch vertical um, – let me see, I think a 4.2 shuttle there. He had an unofficial 4.3940, so maybe a, like a tick faster than that 40, but I think when it's all said and done, uh, he still could sneak into that first round. David, how has is, how is Billy Napier been like, uh, you know, just making the rounds? When you're talking about a day like today, obviously he wasn't uh, – you know, the head coach of Florida last year, but I kind of see some clips of him talking to the scouts, talking to the GMs, talking to the head coach. How was he been navigating uh, his first pro day of Florida? Yeah, Ben, it's kind of something different, too. Vernell Brown, uh, who you know very well, uh, introduced Napier to the NFL scouts and stuff that were there, and Napier just kind of just, kind of just gave a, a speech or whatever. Kind of A lot of people were saying it's kind of the first time they, that they had seen that, kind of a, a welcoming uh, to the event from the head coach there. So uh, that was probably the biggest difference there. And also, as you said, then just kind of making the rounds and talking to everybody, which every coach does that, but kind of the whole, uh, you know, here's kind of, here's what's different. Here's the, here's the head coach at Florida now uh, in announcement and speech, kind of just to spill what, you know, the University of Florida is about there uh, and the NFL history and everybody that Florida sends to the NFL draft uh, there. So that would continue, as I said, this year with not, not as many numbers there, but you could kind of tell, uh, right away that Billy Napier may be taking a different approach uh, when it comes to uh, you know, almost every opportunity he gets to share uh, what the University of Florida can, be, can do and be about. And uh, obviously spring ball as well. What's the latest out of Gainesville? Uh, yeah, I mean, since I, I think, what, last time we talked, guys, was the very, very start of spring ball. So if a lot of people missed it or whatever, Henry Jones uh, decided to go through two spring practices and go ahead and transfer out of Florida. Uh, there, you know, It could be a good sign there if you think, you know, uh, Anthony Richardson doing almost about as good as he can do, bouncing back from that injury last year. Uh, no doubt in my mind right now he's the quarterback leading the charge with Jack Miller there. Probably a little closer behind him than I think maybe some people thought, but I still think it's pretty clear 
uh, that it is Anthony Richardson's team right now. Uh, Florida dealing with some injuries, uh, reported injuries there from the tight end position, and that's a position Billy Napier uh, really likes to use a lot. We'll use tight end, two tight ends a lot in some formations, a lot of 12 personnel uh, in dealing with a couple of injuries that's being reported right now from Nick Elsmith and Jonathan Odom uh, there. So Billy Napier, we won't get to speak to him again until Thursday, so you know, hopefully we get some more clarification. Florida will have their first scrimmage on Thursday as well, uh, so we'll get to pick his brain, hopefully about you know, some of the reported injuries there and how the team looks uh, in their first scrimmage as well. Uh, we move to the other side of the ball, and DeWan Black, uh, Ventro Miller, starting linebacker, for, you know, probably will be the starting linebacker for Florida. Uh, missed, uh, you know, missed pretty much the whole entire season last year. He decided to come back, but he's taking some classes where he'll, he'll, he'll he misses two days of practice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, only practicing on Saturdays. That does open up uh, DeWan Black to get more playing time. He's really taking advantage of it, filling in there for Ventro Miller. So you might see Ventro Miller, DeWan Black, Derek Wingo at that linebacker position, all on the field at the same time. And then up front, Gervon Dexter, you know, I think, going to come around to really live up to that five-star building. Hard to believe this is his third season already. Uh, ben, I know you just recently had a conversation with him uh, as well. And one player that I think is kind of living up to that expectation as spring practice rolls along. How how has a guy like Sean Spencer really helped a guy like Javon Dex in such a short amount of time? But I think honestly, man, just kind of just that relationship and his experience. He sent people to the league uh, from his time at Vanderbilt and Penn State, coaching the NFL the last few years, and it's really just a lot about technique. Uh, ben, we have to remember, uh, Gervon Dex is still kind of new to the game of football. Didn't really start playing football till late in his high school career has been able to beat everybody pretty much based off of his physical prowess. And now it's really just getting the technical aspect of it. And Spencer knows what it takes to get to the NFL by coaching there the last couple of years as well, having some successful players at that level. And now can share that knowledge with Gervin Dexter. He says, look, Dexter's in the film room all the time. He's in my office all the time. I've got to kick him out of my chair just so I can get in my chair and watch film. Uh, there, so it really seems like also maybe uh, an approach of learning how to play the game of football. And that's what Dervon Dexter needs the most. Uh, he can't rely on that physical presence all the time. Uh, Going to you know, need to play smarter. He need to learn how to use his hands a bit more. Uh, so Ben, that's that, that's where the improvement from Dervon Dexter will come from. A guy like Corey Raymond helping the DBs. I mean, Mike Peterson helping the linebackers. We just mentioned Sean Spencer, Captain Chaos. Man, talk about that attention to detail. Corey Raymond is considered the best DB coach in the country, snatching him from LSU. Mike Peterson played at Florida. We talking about Dewan Black, Ventrell Miller, and, uh, you know, uh, Derek Wingo. And we just mentioned Javon Dexter with Captain Chaos. Talk about that attention, the detail these guys getting at their, at their uh, relative positions on defense. Yeah, Ben, I mean, that's what this team needs. We saw, I mean, Florida was one of the leaders in penalties last year. A lot of those were on defense as well. Uh, so those guys just need to play smarter, have that attention to detail, especially on the back end. Uh, you know, Florida has not been able to live up to that DBU moniker in the, in the last couple of years whatsoever. Uh, now you got Corey Raymond coming in. And, Ben, once again, just kind of technique and attention to detail. you got Jason Marshall, the five-star, that played a lot last year as a true freshman. Him coming in now uh, and kind of going to be that experienced guy on the back end there. And he's going to be probably that cornerback one as a sophomore for Florida. So, you know, Florida's used to that. Corey Raymond's used to, to young players coming in. But now it's really, as you said, Ben, just an attention to detail that I think these guys really missed the last couple of years. And then more than anything from Sean Spencer up front to Corey Raymond to Mike Peterson to Bateman there, but those guys at linebacker, Florida really needs to get physical again. They, they lost that for whatever reason the last couple of years. It wasn't a big point of emphasis under Dan Mullen. Benefits me 
and I'm a defensive coach, I, that, that's where I'm starting at this spring. This team has got to get tougher mentally. They've got to get tougher physically. And more than technical aspect and athleticism, this team has got to get more physical. And that's, the, that's probably the biggest thing I think Florida really needs to make up from what they've lost the last couple of years. David, finally, we're seeing some uh, preseason, you know, spring projections, predictions for the SEC. Georgia, obviously the team to beat, the defending champs. Where do you think Florida should, should, should be ranked here in the preseason in the SEC East? Guys, I, I go back and forth on that a bit. I think if you still look at roster talent, Florida's still above Tennessee, Florida's still above Kentucky, Florida's still above South Carolina. So if you want to look at talent aspect, you know, Florida still should be second behind Georgia. But we know, as we saw last year, that doesn't always pan out that way. So my thing is how fast can Billy Napier help it gel together, that, that talent gel together. Now, of course, not, nowhere near Georgia's level, but better than what they showed last year. Uh, but, you know, I think you got, I'll have to look at the quarterback position and how, how much better play they can get from Anthony Richardson because I think now with South Carolina – uh, getting Spencer Rattler and then Hendon Hooker coming back for for, for Tennessee. And I think you know there's two quarterbacks right there you're going to look at in the SEC East that might peg those two teams above Florida. So I, I really go back and forth on it because quarterback is the most important position on the field. But overall talent, Florida still has that edge versus those other teams. So it's really about you know, Billy Napier getting that buy-in and getting that transition at a speed to where Florida can compete. Because, I mean, they got to hit the ground running. Utah game one, Kentucky game two, Tennessee game four. I mean, that's three games right there in the first month of the season. We're going to learn a lot about this Florida Gators team. David Waters, Gators Breakdown, our guest here on 3 and Out. David, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Hey, guys. Thank you. David Waters joining us here on 3 and Out as Florida in the middle of spring practice. Also, their pro day taking place uh, today in Gainesville as well. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here, 3 and Out, on this Monday. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, glad you're with us. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Pro days going on. Obviously, one last kind of dress rehearsal before the, uh, the, the draft is upon us for a lot of these guys. I know uh, Dion called out some of the teams that weren't at, uh, at Jackson State uh, late last week or over the weekend. But Pro Day is obviously uh, a chance for guys who maybe are on the fringe. Because uh, we, we talk about this a lot. I mean, they go to Pro Days all over the country. I mean, how many guys are, dra- are invited to the Combine? Like 300? So you have more guys out there that are draft eligible, obviously, that didn't go to the Combine. A chance for, obviously, NFL scouts to go hop around and see some of the guys they, they maybe have some interest in. Yes, and I, and I know, BJ, me and you go back and forth when you talk about the pro days and the combines. I think the pro days is the ultimate. The pro days is where you get to show off a little bit. The pro days is the fields that you've been running around on for the last three, four, sometimes six years, depending on if you got an extra year with the COVID year. You start talking about being able to say, look, this is my test. This is when I say, okay, I'm going to put everything I've learned, everything I've done, all the weights I've lifted, all the – all the you know uh, the football I've watched, all the knowledge I've gained, all the wisdom I've gained, and I'm gonna put it on display, and I'm gonna live with the result. I know too often at times we so result driven. No, oh, that's as fast as I can run. That's as high as I can jump, both up and out. But when it's over with, you can say, "Man, that's it," because I don't think people understand when you talk about, "Man, I want to go pro." Most guys don't get the opportunity to go pro. Most guys are not going to play in the league, but it's something about walking in your weight room. It's something about walking in your locker room and then your teammates. Because most, hey, just for clarification, I, when when you have a pro day, it is 
essentially the drills you see at the combine. Yes, but you're doing it on on campus. Or yeah, kind of kind of walk us through. Well, well, no, it, it is some of the drills you see at the combine. Like when you see the thing to where you see the receivers running down the middle of the field and they turn to catch the ball. You don't do that. You don't got enough time for that. It's 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 breaking down. They're trying to break down certain things. Are you going to do the L drill? Yes. For me, I had to do everything. I did the L drill. You know, I did a uh, you know I did the short shuttle. I did the forty. I did the vertical. I did I did the broad. I did the, I did the, I did the I did the, I did the uh, bench. Um, I did, and you do it. You get a fifteen minute individual workout. I actually did a thirty minute individual workout. I, so when when certain guys working out, I was doing it with the Cincinnati coach. Then I did another fifteen minute workout. But you getting you getting. You know, you got your, you got what, what what you guys don't see with with the pro days is you don't see your you don't see your former teammates who still got to go back to college coming to you saying, hey, "Listen, boy, you're doing good, man." Just they they're motivating you because sometimes you forget you represent what they hope to become. They're looking at you going, "Ooh, I just played with this dude. I just practiced with this dude. I just prepared with this dude, and this is his moment." Jamal Lewis was at my pro day. How do I know? I go I go and get something to eat after he comes with me and say, "Good job, troop." I'm like, good. Thank you, Mr. Lewis. You know what? What am I gonna say? But I will say this: it's the culmination of the whole of everything you've gone through to get to that point. Most of my teammates did not. Carlos Perez did not get invited to the combine. Uh, I don't think Kevin Cano because some of those guys didn't get invited to the combine, right? And what happens is Daryl Lee didn't get invited to the combine, and uh, John Lamar. A lot of guys I play with my, didn't get invited, but they got to go chance to go out there and. They pro it is the ultimate to me because you, you you walk in and you're real nervous and you hear the music playing. Did you hear? Did you hear Rob Glass? My you know the the uh, the uh, strip coach saying telling all the he, he said is he said listen this is about them today. So if you ain't got on orange and blue, back the hell up. That's every GM. That's every head coach. That's every scout. I appreciated that because sometimes we play so much on the people watching you. You go no, they here to watch us. And that made it, that made it jump. So when I'm getting ready to do my jump out of the gym, true, you remember that. They're saying, because you don't, you forget, we rooting for each other in life, man. Forget football for a second. So it was fun. And I think, I think too often in times, we, I, I, listen, me personally, I care nothing about a combine. A combine is a requirement that certain guys feel, feel too much fear to go out there and do it. Now, your pro day. I mean, are guys generally more confident and comfortable with their pro day than at the combine? Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's as simple as playing, playing, uh, playing basketball at the rec and playing basketball at your house. Right. You go, you you taking the same shots, but you feel more comfortable comfortable when you at your rim because you 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 shot on it. But at the same time, too, when you watching your former team, because we because listen, every year you watch my freshman, sophomore, junior year, I'm watching all these other guys, Lido and Riche and all these guys go. And now when it's my time, they said, "Come on, Troop, come on, Gus, come on, come on, B Mac," and it, it's that saying, "Look, man." The better y'all do, that's going to be if, – if just say 30 coaches came with us. That means all 30 is going to come, depending on what we do, because that's what it really is. You always want to get that – you always remember where you got that great thing from. Best thing you ever ate, you remember where you ate it from. You might might can't get them on it, man. I was at this place. So that's what it really is, regardless if you get drafted or not. But I just remember two, two things that stood out. One, John Gruden drove up from Tampa to work me out. And he did not get a chance. That's how crazy it is. John Gruden is getting pushed back. Two, I look up in the stands. That's my mama in the stands with her little dog named Powder. Brand new little Maltese. <laughs> right? But my mother said, the reason why she sat way up in the stands, she wanted to see the whole thing. And she goes, that's my son out there. 
All these people came to see you, and she said, I ain't want you to have no distractions. Mind you, I wake up in the morning, and I get ready to go up to the freaking facility, and they'll go to the dog with it, sleeping on my pillow next to my mama looking at me like, don't come in here with all that noise. But I, 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 it's so humbling to even think about it to this day because, number one, never had to play, never had to get out there. But then I'm talking to all these coaches. I'm talking to all these, you know, I'm talking to people from, like, the Gainesville Sun, and you and you 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 can hear the appreciation they have of you as a person more than a player because you never big timed them, you never told them I don't want to talk. It was always that mutual respect from everybody. You, man, I, man, I've seen, I've seen, I mean, I'm seeing people that have nothing to do with the football team athletically. I'm seeing my my academic advisor Jason. I'm seeing Miss Ann Hughes, the academic. I'm seeing Tony, and and to me, they out there saying because you don't realize. These people, man, they they fall in love with the person who just happens to be a player. That's that's how I feel because when I'm in the office saying, Dr. Seaman, I got to get out of this class. <laughs> he said, well, you can't get out of my class. How are you going to not take my class when I got to stay eligible? So I, I just look at the culmination, but I will say this. Once, once they say, good job, and that's it, it is the biggest you've ever had. I mean, I don't know how fast I was eating at dinner, but I, but because my agent stayed this on me, but I'm ordering everything. I'm like, let me get this. Let me let ask me get you that. this: I, from the standpoint of the the evaluator, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the NFL coach or GM, is there an element of them wanting to see you at the combine because you are out of your comfort zone, or once once everything starts, is it basically all the same and and they they're just there to see the student athlete? Uh, yes and no. Yes, they want to see you, BJ. I mean, they flew here. They flew the end. You in the one spot, but. I didn't understand leverage until I got to the combine because when my when my when my, when my uh you know when my agent said Joe Siegel says listen man you don't gotta do anything he says why he said because Kellen Winslow ain't gonna do anything the problem is I said he ain't know about being Watson the freak he ain't know about him but it was one of those things Kevin you go off to you I said to myself look man it took me four years to put it together freshman year I just got raw talent. Second year, okay, it's starting to click a little bit. Junior year, I got humble with Ty Tober. And my senior said, I'm ready. I don't care who it is, what it is. Problem is, I'm 21 years old. I got an 18-year-old quarterback named Chris Leak. I had to I had to protect him. My confidence level never ever matched my ability. I say that all the time. Ability's up here. My confidence level down here. No matter what nobody said, my confidence level like, but when but when I walk into when I walk into uh that my, my facility, my uh for my pro day, when I heard that music. And, um, you know, you got your teammates coming up to you, uh, you know, saying, boy, you been eating, but you looking kind of thin, you know, just saying all the kind of things to you. You realize this is why you come to Florida, man. This You, you, come, to, you come here because it's prestigious. I mean, Willie Jackson out there watching us saying, hey, Ben, I'm trying to look like y'all. I said, Willie, you, you about 15 years older. I, I'm pretty sure they ain't looking. But at the same time, I have I had so many guys in the league that came back like Gerard Warren, Alex Brown, and they tell you how proud they are of you. That's awesome. And, and to yeah. me, that that's what it's about. Then I will say this: David Jorgensen, get I bought his scooter, <laughs> and I and, I, and it, it cost a thousand dollars. I gave him the down payment of a hundred dollars, and I told him I'm gonna get it back to you. He's at my pro day, and I and I did, I will say I did kind of big time with man. I ain't got man. I'm focused, man. Really. You want the money now? So, David, if you out there, man, you know, follow me, man. That business and uh, business and gravy, man. I, we're trying to get that cheese. Get that cheese. But, it, but so it, you're it saying you still owe, uh, I, I say I still owe. Listen, I, David, uh, I paid all your money back to BJ Bennett in transportation and meals. So I, I, I paid it back. I think. First, it was you. 
Then it's me. Hey, I'm off the hook now. I, apparently, <laughs> well, I, well, 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 producer Jim was no longer on the show. He hit me up and said, "Just tell Kevin I want my bed." And Kevin said, "The statute of limitations. Uh, just keep going." <laughs> but you have to. I was, I, was, I was looking at the pro day schedule. They 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 pretty much go through early April. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I think Florida, uh, yeah. Florida's and, and, was today. Florida State's is tomorrow. Yeah, and I will say, pro, pro day has become its own real. Like it used to be when I did my pro day. Ain't no, it wasn't no camera. Now, man, it's a full fledged event. They use that as recruiting. Guys get their own little shirts with their names on the back. They get a little video. They they have they 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 probably they it's gonna get to the point. They probably gonna be selling pro day gear. Would I buy it? Probably not. I'll wait them to go on sale. I might get to 2019, maybe in 2029. But I'm I'm happy for those guys because, like I said, when you understand how precious it is, that go Mike Tomlin right there. Mike Tomlin had hair when he came to see us. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. He wasn't even the head coach. It was Bill Coward. Now, ball, right? I'm telling y'all, it, it's crazy. Butch Davis was the head coach of Cleveland. Back there, came to see. So all I'm saying is when Mike Sherman is sitting there in the hotel telling me, Ben, if you're still there at 20, we're going to get you. And then he'll get up and sit with somebody and say, Ben, uh, uh, you know, John Fox, you still there at 30, we're going to get you. I'm not going to tell you, I'm not going to say y'all lied. I'm going to say you didn't tell the truth, and I'm just going to leave it at that. But the Titans, man, I appreciate y'all. But at the end of the day, every teammate, every 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 trainer, every equipment man, uh, you know, a help staff, a Compliance. I couldn't have did none of that stuff because all those people are out there watching you that day, and they all clapping you on regardless of what you do. We've got more to come here. Three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Ryan Wilson, CBS Sports, going to join us in about 30 minutes talking draft with him. It's three and out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here. Three and out on this Monday. A lot to get to here on the show. Of course, everybody weighing in about the Oscars. I don't even know who won anything. Do you? No. Nope. <laughs> I mean, if I'm it was honest, all about the smack. It was all about around the world. It was all about the smickety smack. I will say this: there is professionalism, there is poise, there is restraint, and then there is Chris Rock. I will never know how he kept his how he kept his poise and all that because all I'm telling you, BJ, is let me tell you something. Love, love Will Smith. <laughs> if you like, if I'm if I'm hosting the Oscars, if I'm hosting anything, and I get slapped like that, Nellouise Edwards, <laughs> Miley Troop, and Corbell Williams. Listen, Will Smith, I'm telling you right now, I'm officially diving on you. We gonna be fighting with our with our three piece suits on. Ain't gonna be no smiling. I'm gonna beat the hell out of Will. He slapped me like that. No, no, no. I mean, when he did, I said, "Oh, you know, he's oh, that look like it hurt." And, what? And Chris Rock gonna say, <laughs> Will Smith just slapped the hell out of me. <laughs> uh, yeah, and we saw him. But Chris yeah. Rock, man, shout out to him, man, for keeping his poise. That Netflix special is gonna be beautiful. And if him and Will Smith parlay that thing into a movie, I would not be surprised, Kevin. That was just so weird because, like, I obviously I, I did not watch it live. I saw the replay, <laughs> but it was like at first when somebody said, I, you know, you start going on and you see all the reactions on social media, like he did what? Now you're like, okay, it was a gag or something. And then you go and and get the react. You, you watch the whole thing, the lead up. You're like, that that is that fake? You know, it's like is it just playing around or or what is it? And so like, I think a lot of people. Then you like see Will Smith like just losing it, and he's like, keep it out your mouth. You know, yep. it's like mm-hmm. okay. And then Chris Rock kind of stands here like I kind of don't know what to say right now. But I mean, as a comedian, I think as you said, I I I think the comedian at the end of the day goes, all right. So if you don't like our joke, you can come on stage. One, that's not going to happen. Two, 
We better have a whole lot of Will Smith material oh, around the, uh, the the com- the comedy world for the uh, the next little while. Well, I think, like you said, the fact that Chris Rock it kind of happened, and then he's just moved forward and hosted the remain <laughs> remainder of the show. I mean, I, it was it was remarkable. And Will Smith got I a mean, reward, was, like right yeah, now. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, the Will Smith finally wins an wins an uh, Oscar for best act for best acting King Richard, which if you haven't seen is beautiful, and he's always saying, "I want to." I want to thank the Academy. <laughs> thank the Academy. You better go over there and thank Chris. Because if I'm Chris, I'm looking for you. If I'm Chris Rock, I'm looking for you right now. Dial. <laughs> ben Troop is on team. Stay ready. Yeah, no, no, no. Team at looking for Will. We'll come back with more hour number three. Ryan Wilson will join us here at Three and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Final hour here of Three and Out. We'll hear from Ryan Wilson, CBS Sports, talking draft. With him, what does he have the Falcons doing? Interesting pick uh, he has in his latest mock draft. Also, uh, what about the Jags? Has their situation changed any? Of course, you had, uh, was it uh, Brandon Linder retiring? Yeah. Uh, kind of out of the blue uh, for, for Jacksonville as well. So does that change some of the thoughts uh, there in, in Jacksonville? We'll talk to, uh, to, to Ryan Wilson about that coming up in just a little bit. But, fellas, Final Four is going to be insane. Now, my bracket bracket challenge presented by Coach's Corner, mine is is uh, is done. I'm just going to have to cry in the wings with everybody else uh, there at, uh, at Coach's Corner. But there are five folks that have a chance to still win the bracket challenge. But for those of us who are out and done and our brackets are ruined, I mean, it's a heck of a Final Four. Championship tradition, college basketball royalty. I mean, Villanova for a non-quote P5 basketball school has multiple national championships. Had the big championship over uh, Georgetown and Patrick Ewing. Won it just a couple of years ago. One of the more magical finishes we've seen in a national championship game. And then you have Duke, North Carolina on the other on, on one side. Coach K's last season. We all know about the tobacco road rivalry uh, that those two have. We all know about the distaste that they have. North Carolina already ended Coach K day there at, uh, at Duke. The final home game at Cameron. Thought they were going to meet in the ACC tournament. ended up not happening. But now some people are saying this is the biggest game in the history of the rivalry because they've never played in the the NCAA tournament. This is the final four. So the winner's going to play for a championship. And the loser eliminates their rival for North Carolina. You end Coach K's career with a Tar Heel L. I mean, it doesn't, this might Come be one. On. I mean, this might be one of the biggest college basketball games we've seen in the last 15, 20 Come years. On, crazy. I, I mean, it's it's it's, it's truly crazy because, as you said, I, I don't know that most people kind of first reference would think Duke Carolina have never played each other uh, in in the tournament. Now, there's a reason for that. I, you know, they're they're normally high seeds, and Christian mentioned earlier. I'm sure every time the tournament's laid out, you don't put them next put them to each opposite other sides, yeah, yeah. because you don't want to have a game for the fourth time. Uh, potentially in the in the second round of the tournament, but still never in the history of these two programs have they met in the NCAA tournament, and then they do as Coach K is ending his career. Sports always delivers the storylines, the drama, uh, the theater, and if I'm North Carolina, I'm especially frustrated at this. Not that I'm in the Final Four, obviously, love that, but I thought I closed the door on Coach K. I went into Cameron Indoor, if I'm North Carolina, and said, nope. And won by what, 15 plus with all the emotion, all the, you know, history that was on display. And you won that game and you thought, we did it. Last ever meeting with Coach K. We did it in Durham. We did it in Cameron. That's an iconic win for North Carolina. 
Let me ask you guys this. If Duke wins on Saturday, is anybody remembering that game? Who? Is, is anybody talking about the win in Cameron? No, it, 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 it only adds, I mean, something something that uh something that Kevin said, uh, you know, first hour. All these, all these, uh, all these Hollywood scripts being written, right? I mean, if you if you listen, if you Steven Spielberg and them this year, my goodness, I mean, you be like, man, I don't, who, which one are you gonna do? You gonna do Stetson? Huh? You gonna do the Braves? But the thing about this is, it's very, 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 very seldom that your that that the greatest college rivalry gets experienced on this stage. You see it during the regular season. You see it during the tournament. Maybe you don't see it when, when everything's on the line. We talk. We make this thing about Coach K when UNC got more national titles. Basketball than Duke. Now Duke got the prestige because Duke Duke has that national appeal that everybody goes. You know, everybody be everybody. You know, somewhere Drake. But you know Drake. Well, no, but get- see, but 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 you're right. Like everybody has an opinion on Duke. You either love him or you hate him. There's no like me. Like nobody's sitting the fence on Duke. I, yeah, I mean, no, no, no. But think about this though, Kevin. I mean, I think sometimes, right? Things just happen the way they're supposed to happen for the betterment or the continuation of the sport. When this iconic figure has moved on, right? When you talk about a guy, when you talk about a guy like Bobby Brown, they, they gave you Jimbo and he won that net. And now it didn't continue, but it shows what it is when you, you know, it's like, hey man, let me show you what being, being coached on this guy does for you in recruiting and playing and so on and so forth. When you talk about a team like Duke, though, what makes Duke so polarizing is people talk about Duke. Most people have never seen Duke play. Most people, like, hey man, who? I don't know. Who, I don't know. They know about Duke. They know about Coach K. They know about UNC. That's it. Most people, that is their college basketball existence. They don't know anything else. But if UNC gets this done, they are doing this for so much more than UNC. Coach K got to go. Right? <laughs> because, because, BJ, there are certain things that you don't want to live off ever. Just, I think it's a, man, just, I think it's a hard ask. Just, just, just imagine. You, you better win in Just Cameron imagine this. Just imagine this. In the Final Four. Listen. And my last college football game I could ever watch was this last was was Florida and I mean was uh, was Georgia and Alabama. You know what it's gonna do to me the rest of my life? I don't want to be. Yeah, this is it. I can't watch no more. The last thing I seen was Georgia win. Uh uh-uh. uh no. I, I I need a rewind. I need a redo. I need to, I need to move on. If you if 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 Duke wins right, people gonna act like Duke because people act as if Coach K never loses. This dude ain't I mean, never it's, lost. It's it's it's, it's setting sickening. up. It's setting up for Duke to win the national title. Hey, BJ, I mean, it, 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 is it not? Is it not? But 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 and, and the th- listen, I saw Casey Hayward, who went to Vanderbilt, on Twitter talking about, yeah, man, uh, we gonna get them boys this time. Eric Ebron, who went to North Carolina, said, what do you mean we? We put the we beat the brakes off y'all the last time. Look, I'm gonna say this again. I'm from Georgia, so I you know I root for I root for the Hawks and the Falcons and the Braves and. Are you turning this into a Georgia? Fan no, 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 no. This is what I am turning into though. A lot of it, you BJ, when I first met you, you know what you say to me all the time? I said, yeah, I mean, you're like, fake. That's fake. That's not real. A lot of this stuff is not real, okay? When I go to people and they got these jerseys on, I'm like, what you doing? Mm, you're fresh out of the pack. You're not oh, yeah. a real I'm fan. A, I'm a Duke fan, fake. No, 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 no. no. You're, listen, you're a Duke fan. This is when you know you're a fan. When, you're, when the numbers are peeling off the jersey because you've had that long, not this. Yeah, man, Coach K, he about to spell his name. I can't. That's right. Nobody can. Not even him. Because at the end of the day, we want Duke to lose, not because we don't like Duke. It's because that's exactly why. We cannot stand. But do we not all see it coming? I mean, this is the movie. This is the book. 
Coach K's iconic career. You have the low before the high. You played North Carolina <laughs> in Cameron. It's going to be a great send-off. No, no, no. It's no, a no, wonderful no, moment. BJ, this and is they thing, get blown right? out. No, no, BJ. Then the stars align. When LeBron and they rematch won, in the Final Four. When LeBron won the first championship, he, he listen, before the final, before it was 0-0-0, they saying, a young boy from Akron. They already did the commercial. Are you prepared to watch Christian Leitner for 24 hours? I don't want to see that. Oh, it's the outlet pass against Kentucky. Doesn't Coach K already have a commercial, a couple commercials or something like well, that? Well, hold on, hold on. And think about how forced that is. Hey, how many times they had to go cut? Coach, could you do it again? We're asking you I'm saying. just saying it's happening. I, I think most of college basketball is rooting for North Carolina, uh, but I, I I just think it's happening. It's No, no, no. It, okay. I, there was a commercial back in the day with a guy wearing an Ohio State sweater. His lady had on a Michigan sweater, and they kissed. And they said, without college football, this wouldn't be disgusting. Right? Without college football, right? This is disgusting. I don't want to see it because at the end of the day, right, when when I got to the league, you know what guys used to say about your, you know, your, your teams you went to? They'll say, yeah. He said, y'all, y'all boys went to Florida and Georgia because y'all couldn't play basketball. What's going to you? I went to Duke. And did you play? I ain't played. Because that's what it be. It's like this. Duke's supposed to be this, you know, the highest of the high. And North Carolina has more chips than them. Like, they have more. The most iconic player at Duke is what? Christian Leitner, right? The most iconic player in North Carolina is Mike. And we act like, uh, do it for everybody else, North Carolina. I don't want to see this. You know why, BJ? Because we'll never hear about it. I already got to deal with Georgia winning that championship. Can They're going to say we won two that championship. see it? Can oh, my that God. They're going to say, man, we won two of them. <laughs> what? They're going to say, what you mean? We won two of them. What you mean, We. We won the basketball and won the football and Magic Stafford won the NFL. I said, y'all didn't want to listen. Y'all had Anthony Edwards didn't even make the, didn't even make the tournament. Well, Dominique Wilkins, if oh my, if Dominique Wilkins do a tribute to Coach K, I'm a loser. Cause BJ, don't nobody want to see that to beat them twice oh. in the middle of this kind of magical storybook finish for Coach K. I'm just saying. Seems unlikely. That will be the ultimate double flex if you're North Carolina and you go into Cameron and say, nope, and then you meet in the Final Four and say, oh, dream season, end with a national title. Nope, I'm just saying, if you don't like Duke Duke and you're rooting for prepare yourself. I mean, but this could be, like you said, it could be a heck of an end uh, to the the run either way for for Coach K. You, you, You win, you get into the Final Four. If you beat North Carolina, that's big, and you potentially would have to beat Kansas for a national championship, and, and Bill Self, who's got, you know, obviously one of the top, what, five or six coaches of this kind of era of college basketball uh, out there. I mean, th- this could be quite the finish if they pull this off. And, uh, again, I'm with Ben. I would love to see North Carolina do it because I'm just – I'm over the Duke thing. <laughs> I get it. Like, it's, it's fine. But, uh, you know, I, people say, that, like, why are you hating? I'm not hating. I, I, I said this on the show Friday, Ben. I can appreciate what Coach K has done. I can appreciate what he means to college basketball. I can respect the job he's done. I do not want him to win. I respect the Yankees. I respect the pinstripes. I respect the fact they got, what, 27 championships. I do not want them to win nope. the World Series. The nope. end. Like, I mean, that, that's, that's the, whole, the whole thing here with Coach K. So, uh, good, uh, uh, to me, I, I don't know how you even build a better storyline than this for a Final Four game than what we have between these two teams. And it's interesting because, what, Hubert Davis – a North Carolina guy taking over. Like, everybody says, you don't want to be the guy following the guy. Like, you know, you had the guy, what was it, Matt Doherty and so, and, and so on, filling in after Dean Smith. Nobody wanted to fill in for Dean Smith. Then you had Roy Williams, former North Carolina guy, come back. He takes the program to heights, wins a bunch of ball games, national championship. 
and he retires. And now here you are, Hubert Davis, Hubert Hubert Davis, former player. No, 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 no worry. Just you got some shoes to fill. Mm-hmm. Well, we might take a little step back. Mm-hmm. And there was thoughts that maybe North Carolina going into the ACC tournament might have been a bubble team. BJ, you heard talk about this. Oh, they're okay. I mean, they quietly were what like twenty-one and ten, and people are like they're not even in the top twenty-five. Like they they were they were a good team. I think a little bit above five hundred in the ACC were not in the top twenty-five. And they get in the tournament, and they make a little run. Start looking real good. Start looking even better. And now here they are in the Final Four. Mm-hmm. I, again, I know people know the program North Carolina, but outside of a fan of that program, I don't know how many people thought Hubert Davis, year one, going to take this team and, 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 and run them into a, a Final Four appearance. Much less. He's done a great job. Bump off Duke and Cameron and then have to play Duke again. I mean, to me, as much as it is about Coach K, Throw some love to Hubert Davis. I mean, you stepped in for a legend. Yes. And that's the same thing. I mean, John Shire's going to do the same thing next year at Duke. You're stepping in for a legend. Nobody wants that. No. Like, you're never going to be able to live up. And here he is in the Final Four, year number one, doing a tremendous job. I mean, the expectations were just overwhelming. And uh, and I I, got to say this, though, though. For all the talk about ACC is down. Oh, man, these other conferences have really, really caught up to the ACC. I don't want to hear that. Arkansas was the only – it was the lone SEC school, right? No, the ACC is not down. I have – listen, I, I mess with BJ about it all the time. The ACC, when people say they beat up on each other, they really do an ACC. But who was in the Final Four? Oh, that would be two blue-blood ACC and schools. Miami was in the Elite and, and, and Miami was right there. But, look, I will say, you know, Coach K is the epitome of, you know, consistency. You know, you, you, he has that love-hate. You know, I mean, how many people known throughout the world is just Coach K? Well, we, boom, Coach K, you can, I can't even, I ain't even going to try to even attempt to say his name or try to spell it. But I'm just, I'm just saying, Kevin, I do agree. North Carolina, sometimes you're doing something bigger than yourself. Go out there and get <laughs> I, it done. I went and looked. Ticket prices for the final four. <laughs> you want to get in? You're going to be way up, uh-huh. and you're going to start at about four, four fifty for one. That's so, all? I'm sure that'll go. Oh, that'll I think go. that's oh, going to go up. But oh, if you're, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. but if you're thinking a couple of couple of friends, you know, unless family, people are holding out for the national championship on on Monday, I don't know. I, potentially, I think, uh, I think early in the week for them to already be at four hundred dollars in the uh, in the high sections. Good luck getting a ticket to that one. I mean, you're 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 witnessing oh, oh, once again. the best basketball rivalry oh, in college again. basketball. I, I, know, I know we got the list. we got two lists. We got the list that you know if they're going to somebody going to sign you in if you and we got the money list. Oh, if you oh if you if you got court seats to this, got a little cheese in the bank. I ain't counting your money, but you got a little cheese in the bank because they're gonna put you know twenty grand, fifty grand. Hey man, you know that's Jay Z and Beyonce man. That's, <laughs> that's Chris Rock and uh, Will Smith down there. <laughs> I don't know if they'll be sharing seats. Uh, <laughs> they, they, court, court somebody got to sit in between. You know, maybe you know maybe uh I don't know maybe like Reggie Miller or somebody be sitting in the middle. Maybe Michael Jordan be sitting in the middle of them. Who knows? Just smooth. keeping the peace. <laughs> uh, they're watching the uh, watching the basketball game. But yeah, tremendous. Uh, ball game upcoming in the Final Four at Kansas Villanova. Isn't going to be too shabby either on the other side. we got more to come. We're talking draft when we return. Ryan Wilson, CBS Sports, joins us. What are the Jags going to do at number one? Better yet, what are the Falcons going to do there at number eight? He's got an interesting choice. We'll chat with him next here. It's 3 It Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you back here. 3 It Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Draft coming up at the End of April. Still a lot to be decided uh, between now and then. Joining us here from CBS Sports, his latest mock draft with the Jags and Aiden Hutchinson there at the top. Ryan Wilson joins us here on 3 and Out. Ryan, welcome to the show. How are you? 
I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. And, and I know the Jags have have got options. They have spots that they need, and uh, Brandon Linder retires today along that uh, offensive line. Does that change the thinking at all about Aiden Hutchinson? I know a lot of people have been saying recently, put it in pin, it's going to happen. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go that far. Uh, they, they made some moves this, this free agency. Uh, they they beat up Cam Robinson as well. So the, the offensive line is certainly in better shape than it was, and, and I think knowing that and that the best player in this draft is probably Aiden Hutchinson, uh, or at least someone on the side of the ball, it probably uh, makes sense now that they bolster that offensive line to some degree that they would go out and get the best player in Aiden Hutchinson. In my mind, is that guy, and we'll see if that's ultimately what the Jaguars think. But uh, I don't know if you would target another lineman here just because you might have trouble finding some place to put him. That said, you can never take too many offensive linemen when you have a franchise quarterback, and, and obviously that's what that's what Trevor Lawrence gives you. But I think as we sit here, and you know, a month ago, back in late January, I had Iki Kwanu, the, the offensive lineman at NC State, is going first overall to Jacksonville because they hadn't made those free agency moves yet. Um, but I think when you have you re-up Cam Robinson, you have Brandon Scherf, uh, you could possibly look in other directions. And I think other directions include Aiden Hutchinson, even though that will make three edge rushers in the last four years as first-round picks for the Jaguars. I still think you'd do that. Hutchinson makes a lot of sense. We're seeing that projection a lot of places. But, Ryan, is there a chance the Jacksonville Jaguars just, just go in a uh, totally different direction. I know some have said Trayvon Walker. Uh, you've seen some Kyle Hamilton talk, or or do you really think this is uh, pretty simple at this point as we get closer to the first pick? Yeah, Trayvon Walker is a, a popular name this time of year, and the thing I always try to remember is that Trayvon Walker has been Trayvon Walker throughout the college football season. Nothing's changed in terms of, of how he played for Georgia uh, in 2021. What has changed is that the media has sort of gets more involved as we get closer to the end of this thing, and that's understandable. And uh, even the front office guys and the head coaches in, in, in the NFL, the, the staff, they, they get introduced to these players. They've known about Trevon Walker a lot longer than we have uh, in the media for sure. Uh, but I think he is a uh, what feels like a, a media riser. Now, he had a fantastic season, and you have to be able to differentiate your, what he was doing as part of that Georgia defense that was so dominant and what he can do uh, when he gets to be uh, an NFL player, when he doesn't have Jordan Davis and Devontae White and Nicole Dean around him. That said, I, I mean, there's no arguing with what he put on tape, number one, and there's no arguing with uh, what he did at the combine in his pro day. He ran a 4.51 as someone who's 6'4 and 275-ish. And th- those are freakish numbers, and he plays with that sort of uh, freakish athleticism. Now, does that mean he's going to be the first overall pick? I haven't heard that in talking to teams, and I'm going to circle back and, and you know, dot those I's and cross those T's, but he wasn't a name that came up initially. I, I think he's a top-ten pick all day long. Uh, I think Aiden Hutchinson is, is more polished at this point in his career, but that doesn't mean Teron Walker can't end up being the best player in this draft, and that's the thing. I mean, a few years ago, Chase Young went second overall, and everyone was like, oh, that's a slam dunk. Chase Young hasn't played like the second overall pick, and he could certainly do that, but we, you know, the, the, the point is that this is a – this is a crapshoot, man. This is certainly more art than science, so you have to sort of have some finesse in terms of how you approach these things and, and with that understanding as you go into it. Ryan, you have Kenny Pickett going number eight overall uh, to the Atlanta Falcons when you think about the fact that now you got a guy like uh, Matty Ice moved on to the Colts. Kenny Pickett, I mean, you look at what he did last year for Pitt, now, now it's all about his hand size, which I never really get into that nonsense. I mean, how do you think he'll be a fit you know, for a team like Atlanta who's moving on from a legend? Well, here's the, here's the funny thing for me, and this 
these mock drafts as I do them now are a mix of what I think should happen and what I think teams will do. And in terms of these quarterbacks, this is what I think these teams will do. I, I don't. I have a, one first round grade on these quarterbacks, and it's Matt Corral out of Ole Miss, and I have them going uh, in the mock draft that came out this morning at the bottom of the first round. Uh, I know some NFL teams like him uh, better than the other quarterbacks. I know some NFL teams like Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett. I, I don't think Kenny Pickett is a first round pick. I think he's more of a second round talent. And again, that doesn't mean anything. Russ Wilson went in round three, and he turns out he's pretty good. But if we're looking at this latest mock draft, uh, and you talk about Kenny Pickett to the Panthers, uh, excuse me, to the Falcons. I think that does make some sense in that Kenny Pickett is ready to play. They signed Marcus Mariota for two years. Marcus Mariota last started a football game in 2019, so it's not like he's going to be the slam dunk starter, uh, never mind two years from now, but even throughout the course of the 2022 season. Kenny Pickett's probably the most NFL ready of these quarterbacks to take the field right now. Um, Small hands won't matter if you're playing indoors and you wear those gloves, which he's worn forever. So I think you're right. I think that's, that's not a concern. It's just sometimes he doesn't see the entire field when you watch him play, and he misses some throws that could be big-time big throws that end up being checkdowns. Again, not the end of the world, but for someone who's played for as long as he has at Pitt, you'd like to see more of that, and that's just my opinion. So um, Atlanta has, <laughs> has some things to work through. They have Kyle Pitts, and that's about it as a playmaker. The offensive line has some issues. The defensive line has some issues. So – it wouldn't be a, uh, an ideal landing spot like, say, Mac Jones to the Patriots for Kenny Pickett, but I mean, that's why you draft these guys early. You want them to come in and change your franchise. I mean, for all those reasons you just mentioned why the Falcons shouldn't take a, a quarterback because they have so many holes and they just got Mariota, I guess, is kind of a holdover. Do you think the Falcons actually look quarterback or wait till next year when the, the, the crop of quarterbacks is expected to be a little deeper? I mean, I can't imagine this is a Falcons team that thinks they're going to be picking in the middle of the first round next year. Yeah, and, and that's the question. That's absolutely the question. And, and uh, you guys know this as well as I do. Even if there is a, supposed to be a good quarterback class in the following year, sometimes teams just don't want to wait, and they will sometimes uh, do things that they may not do if they were in their right state of mind. Um, when I think of Kenny Pickett going this high, I, it reminds me, fair or not, of Daniel Jones getting drafted so early for the Giants. If Daniel Jones had gone in the second round, no one would have cared. That he, he struggled the way he struggled. Not entirely his fault, by the way. I mean, the offensive line has not been good. They drafted Saquon Barkley early, so they weren't allowed to, dra- uh, to address other needs, and, and so on and so forth. The coaching, obviously, has changed. The general manager has changed. So all those things have played a part. But when you draft someone that high, the expectations are that you win right away. So are there other uh, areas of need that the Falcons could address? Absolutely. <laughs> Another mock draft, I've had him taking Kyle Hamilton. I've had him taking Trevon Walker, who may not, no longer be there at eight. Uh, I've had him taking an edge rusher. So there are all sorts of um, positions, especially in the defense, that they can address and probably get better value uh, in, in terms of that number eight pick. Because these quarterbacks, like I said, you just don't know. You could get Josh Allen. You could get Mr. Bisky, And that's the gamble you take. But that's also the gamble that's sometimes worth taking when you have to have a quarterback. You can have all the uh, premier edge rushers in the, in the world. You're not winning playoff games unless you have a franchise quarterback. And that's what all these teams are chasing. How unpredictable, Ryan, do you think the first round is going to be overall? Whether it's the quarterbacks, maybe uh, the offensive linemen go in a hurry, or the wide receivers, but uh, how unpredictable or or volatile do you think the first round could be? That's a great question, and I think it may – I hesitate, but I think it may be less volatile than what we've seen in recent years, only because the quarterbacks – I don't know if teams are going to be willing to trade up for them. And I'm very curious to see what happens in the top ten with those picks because – uh, we have Carolina at six. They desperately need 
offensive line help, but they'll probably take a quarterback. We just talked about the Falcons at eight. The Seahawks at nine need a quarterback, unless you think Drew Locke is the answer. So I, I'm not even sure that there's going to be a lot of movement among the top ten picks. Because I don't know if a team wants to give up a lot in terms of draft capital to move up to get uh, a Malik Lewis, for example, who may or may not be Justin Fields. And the Bears traded up last year to 10, I believe, to get Justin Fields, um, who at this time of year was starting to, in the eyes of the media anyway, see his draft stock slip, which seems silly, but that's that's you know the business that we're in and then sort of the, the stuff we have to deal with this time of year. But to answer your question, I don't know if the team's going to trade up. I think after that, maybe after pick 10, um, things might start to get a, a little crazy, and I think they might start to get crazy around positions other than quarterback. Wide receiver might be a position you see a run on. Cornerback might be see a position you, you, you see a run on, as well as edge rusher, offensive lineman. And I think quarterback might actually – it wouldn't surprise me if two quarterbacks end up going in round one. It also wouldn't surprise me if you see four go. Uh, and the reality is I only only have one guy, Matt Corral, as I mentioned, with the first-round grade. So uh, top ten picks, I'll be interested to see how that unfolds in terms of uh, movement. And then after that, I think things get a little crazy. Ryan, you see what you see what guys like Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson has done for the wide receiver position, being NFL ready, coming into the National Football League. You mentioned Chase Young being playing like the number two overall pick. What young position group in the National Football League is helping these current crop? What is, is going to help a position group coming into this draft, whether that be defensive ends, D linemen, quarterbacks? What position group in the NFL, the young guys, are helping current guys get drafted higher? I think you hit on it. I think it's wide receiver, and I think this group of wide receivers is, is going to be another really good group. Uh, and part of that is just the way that the college offenses have evolved. These guys are running routes, they're running more uh, more versatile routes, and these guys are incredible athletes. Uh, Garrett Wilson at Ohio State, I absolutely love. Uh, his athleticism, his uh, foot speed, his quickness in and out of breaks. We talked to him at the combine, and I said, who's faster? You're Chris Olave. He didn't hesitate. He said, Chris Olave's faster. Well, the the 40 time told a different story. And when you watch them play, Garrett Wilson plays a little faster. He reminds me in a lot of ways of Odell Beckham. And he could be a top 10 pick all day long. And, and the funny thing is, you mentioned Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson, somehow, some way, was the fifth wide receiver taken in that draft a few years ago. The Eagles passed on him to take Jalen Rager, who still has a chance to be a good football player. But if we're, if we're redrafting that draft now, Justin Jefferson is probably a top three pick. And that just, again, reinforces that we don't know what we don't know. But I mentioned Chris Olave as Garrett Wilson's teammate. He's going to almost certainly be a first-round pick. He's probably the, the the best route runner in this draft class. Drake London out of USC is 6'5". He's a high-point catch machine, and he is he's going to be special. Traylon Burks ran a 4.55 at the Combine. I do not care. I, if you see Traylon Burks, if you've watched him play consistently, you know what he's going to run or thereabouts. He's still outrunning dudes to the end zone, and he does it in a way that reminds you of part Anquan Bolden, part Juju Smith-Schuster, part A.J. Brown. And if you like those players, then you might like Traylon Burks. Sometimes you can fall in love with those numbers, and I think we have to remember at the end of the day they're playing football, and we have to go back and look to see how they did play football. And I think Traylon Burks uh, made himself into a first-round pick based on what he did in 2021. Ryan Wilson, CBS Sports, said joining us here on 3 Out. Ryan, I'm interested to ask people who, who cover this draft and get involved in mock drafts all the time, when it comes to this time of the year, the combine's over, football's been done for a couple months, it's just pro days, and so not much of just on-the-field stuff is, is happening to change your evaluation. How do you parse through all the nonsense that's out there from teams and misleading and uh, you know, kind of throwing lines out there to see if other teams will kind of pick up their issue? How do you parse through the BS, I guess, of pre-draft hysteria? Yeah, I mean, it's funny you mentioned teams. Most of the, the, the smoke screens come from 
for media. And I think one of the the, the pitfalls you can fall into is, is just reading Twitter and taking it as gospel because it's, it's not. And I found that out pretty early on once I started covering the draft. And for me to get around it is I, I talk to people I trust in the league and I, you know, I ask them straight up, what, what's the deal with this guy? What's the deal with that guy? And that's how I, I get to the bottom of this thing. Now, I can't uh, get a report on all 300 guys, so I have to trust my eyes as well. So I, I watch these guys play during the season. I watch them play um, in January and February and go, and go through their, their film. And I, I'm not a scout, but I can lean on scouts that I know who help me sort of understand what, what the things that, that I don't get. And, and so it's part me, it's part trusting people, and, and part uh, ignoring what you see on Twitter because a lot of the times I would say 90% of what you see on Twitter probably either isn't true or it's uh, some version of the truth that, that's uh, much farther away from actuality than it should be. So uh, at the end of the day, you, you got to trust what you what you know, and, and that, that that's on me. I, I just can't go on what people tell me. I have to, my job is to sort of have an idea of these players, and I try to do that. And But you're right, man. Things get crazy. And, and Trevon Walker is an example of a guy who's, who's made, made a move up draft boards, and I'm going to check in with my, my sources and see what they think. But uh, he's a good football player, and sometimes you see it go the other way. A uh, player, as you sort of know with the smoke screens, who's a good football player, and I mentioned Justin Fields earlier. Justin Fields was always the player that the NFL teams knew he was and, and that I had a sense of who he was. I think a lot of that was media-created in terms of whatever the issues were that he fell. I think he went to exactly where he should have gotten drafted in terms of uh, – where he went in the first round. Now, I don't know if he, he feels like Chicago is the best fit for him. It was tough going in, in year one, but I think there's a chance for him to get better and a chance for him to be the best quarterback in this draft class. It didn't happen in year one because that was Mac Jones, but that's one year. Uh, certainly a lot can change between now and five, six, seven, eight years from now. Ryan Wilson, CBS Sports, our guest here on 3 and Out. Ryan, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Ryan Wilson, CBS Sports, cover the draft. Draft coming up end of April. We'll come back. Here from Tony Barnhart, Mr. College Football, 3 and Out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Good to have you here, 3 and Out, on this Monday. Appreciate Ryan Wilson, Tony Barnhart, David Waters joining us here on the program. As, again, college football always uh, in the news with pro days and uh, spring practices and, of course, the draft out there on the horizon. Also, spring training going on with the Atlanta Braves. It's a little bit more than a week to go, and it'll be baseball for real. Uh, right around the corner, but about another... Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. You've got about another week of games. I think they finish up on Sunday or Monday and then head back to Atlanta to face Cincinnati on Thursday. Looking forward to the title defense to begin, and the Braves are loaded. I mean, I think their bullpen's the best in baseball. Lineup looks pretty good. We'll get even better as Acuna comes back and starting pitching. Has options on the backside of that rotation. So Braves look to be in uh, in good shape as they get ready to start the season. I look forward to it because at the end of the day, everybody's looking up at them Braves until proven otherwise. Well said. Hawks and Pacers. Hawks are looking up at a lot of people. <laughs> the Indiana Pacers are not one of them. What? The Pacers are 25 and 50. They're going to get a winning record tonight. We'll see if they can get a winning record tonight. We'll have it for you at 730 this evening. We'll see you tomorrow. Three and out. Southern Pigskin Radio Network.